0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. For the last number of weeks, I've been talking to you about the elements of spiritual strength. I want to conclude this series talking about the source of spiritual strength. Every action you take, every word you say, every response, reaction, everything has a source. And it usually divides into two sources. It's either love or it's fear. Now, some would say, well, the opposite of love is is hate, but the source of hate is always fear. And so the scriptures say that you either will... Use as the source for your life, you'll either use love or you'll use fear. Now, how do I know that? It's because John says perfect love casts out fear. That, therefore, it means if you're relying on fear, fear casts out perfect love. So you either are deciding that the source of your strength is going to be fear or that it's going to be love. And so I, I would say to you that there is no spiritual strength. There's no godly strength in fear. There's only spiritual strength in love. So we're going to look together at some of the chapters that speak the most about the love of God, because we're not talking about affection. We're talking about family obligation. We're not even talking about friendship. We're talking about the unconditional, what's called the agape love of God. And we're going to we're going to unpack a little bit through these three chapters Different verses that talk about love becoming the source of your strength. So here's what I'd like to do. We only have one verse. I'd like you to read it out loud with me. Um, It's just 1 John 3, 1. So will you read that with me? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us Is that it did not know him. So here's what I want you to understand. Well, I'm gonna do this in the way I was trained. I grew up Presbyterian. So I'm gonna have three points, and they're all gonna start with B. (laughs) All right? So the first of the the B's is this. What, What John is saying here is that every Christian, true Christian, is born of God. And what he means by that is so powerful. It says, God comes into the life of the believer and changes your spiritual DNA. That there has to be a new birth. In other words, being religious really doesn't value, isn't doesn't have a great value. Changing your morality doesn't have a great value in terms of spiritual strength. Even having a better philosophy or theology, these are not really the issues. There has to be a new birth. A person has to be born of God in order to be a Christian. But here's the thing, you can't birth yourself. So it is one of the things that God does when you open your heart to Jesus, when you open your heart to the gospel. This is something that is received, it's not something that's achieved. Now, if you have given your heart to Jesus, then you are born of God. A supernatural transformation has taken place. Please, please understand the nature of biblical faith. Faith does not make something so. But if something is true, then faith embraces it. You know, your faith can't make something that's not true true. But if it's true, then you can rely on it, depend on it, and believe it. And so if God says you are born of God, you don't make it so by believing it. You can believe it because it is so. And so we began to realize that the real issue with many of us is we're not believing what He says about us. We're not believing what His love has done in us. Now... John goes on to say that this is being born of God is a change of nature. It's a change of your your very essence. And so he says, you have now become a person who can practice righteousness. In verse 9 it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now I hear people all the time who are Christians, who are saying, I'm nothing but a sinner. That's not what this says. This says that you were a sinner who has now found a Savior, and the Savior has sent His Spirit, and that Spirit is in you as the seed of God, so that now you are no longer by nature a sinner, but by nature you're a child of God. See, the issue with many of us, we don't understand even the nature of sin. And so people often ask me, says, is this a sin? And they'll mention some behavior. Is this a sin? And they'll mention some other behavior. And I'll go, that's not really the issue. The behaviors are just the symptoms. The real issue is that you're not born of God. Because only those born of God will depend on God for their life, their love, and their future. You see, anything you do that is not in dependence on God is sin. Even if men call it good, because it is not dependence on God, it is self-centered, it is self-motivated, it is self-saving. Listen to what Augustine said so long ago, a church father. He said, When someone is born again, when someone is born of God, their heart gets reordered. So that they are able to now, they are able not to sin. Only those born of God are able not to sin. So here's what I want you to to say this with your own words. So look at your neighbor, point the good finger at him. Point the, f- yeah, I, I always have to be careful here. Point your righteous finger, you know. I want you to say this to them. You are able, you are able not, to sin. not to sin. Say it one more time. You are able, you are able, able not, to not to sin. You guys enjoyed that way too much. All right, since you enjoyed saying it to them, you got to say it to yourself. I am, able I am able not to sin. Not to sin. I am able, I am able not, to not to sin. Okay, this is the truth of what John is teaching here. Those who are born of God now have the ability to resist sin. But, yes, but listen closely. Listen closely. That means our friends who are not born of God are not able not to sin. This is why we must preach the gospel. This is why we must urge people to be born again. Because until the seed of God, until the life of God comes into your heart and your essence and your nature is changed, the only thing you have is a nature towards sin. And and think about this if if you're wandering from God. Here he's saying... You can't keep on sinning. Now, what does he mean by that? (laughs) Because I've seen people who are pretty good at sinning. What he's saying is this. When you were not a believer, when you were not born of God, and you went out and you did by nature what a sinner does, you enjoyed your sin. But now that you are born of God, when you do the things you used to do, the Holy Spirit is doing them with you. And the Bible says he grieves. He's a person. So when you're rebelling, he's crying. When you're being independent from him and saying, I don't want your advice, I don't want your direction, he's grieving. So that even while you're doing what you used to do, it's no fun. And afterwards, it's guilt ridden. You feel ashamed. And you don't even know what to do with it sometimes because you, you don't realize you're not independent anymore. The Holy Spirit, when you're about to do something stupid, doesn't say, I'm going to go up to heaven now. And I'll report it's not going well down there. No, what did He say? I'll never leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So whatever you're going through and whatever you're choosing, He's having to go through it with you. It's really powerful when you start to think about this. Again, this is not something you achieve. All you've done is you've given your yes to Jesus, and He comes in, and He puts the seed of God in you. Would you say this with me? I am born of God. I am born of God. So the second one is you're beloved of God. See, because you're born of God, you begin to realize, hey, He did this because He loves me. He did this because I'm His beloved. And John is saying that one of the marks of of you knowing you're a Christian is that you get a sense of wonder. You wonder, how could God love me? How could I become a son, a daughter, loved like Jesus? And so John says, behold, and the translation we read said, see, but in the original it's like, where did this come from? Uh, the literal translation is, what country, what planet does this love come from? And he's so filled with wonder that the Father could love him in the exact same way he loves the, Jesus, his only son. I don't know about you, but I've never taken my paycheck and go, behold. <laughs> Have you ever done, oh, it's so much more than I expected Usually it's a whole lot less than I expected. (laughs) There are very few things in life that cause wonder, because most of what we experience is either less than we deserve or just what we deserve. There's no wonder in what you deserve. There's no wonder in getting less than you deserve. But there is a sense of wonder when you know yourself, and then you recognize That this is the love that's in your heart. Jesus would not go through eternity without you. But he didn't just kind of clean you up a little bit. He wanted you to have the same love of the Father that he has. So he had to do away with Anything that was in the way of the Father loving you. And so John says this. Jesus wanting you to feel and experience the same Father love he has. He came and said you can't pay for your sins. And you can't quit sinning. So I will bear the penalty in full of your sins. You. Scripture says he who knew no sin became sin. Now. Now. I would like you to get this. It's not just that there was this kind of random payment for sin. It was that all the petty things that have attached to you became attached to Him. Can you imagine the holy of holy Jesus, Son of God, became gossip for you? That He became your bitterness. He became your unforgiveness about whatever it is you're unforgiving about. He became your cancer. He became your diabetes. He became your high blood pressure. He became everything that has to do with our iniquities and our infirmities. So that as he's experiencing this, he was taking and exhausting all the punishment that God has towards sin. It was all exhausted in Jesus, so there's no punishment left for those who are in Christ. This is why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he didn't, just, he didn't just deal with paying the penalty for what you've done or what you will do. He also came and said, I'm going to take out your enemy. Because you see, the, the, the force and the power of sin has a personal, strategic you know, agenda behind it. And, and Satan and all his demons... Not only take the issues of sin and death and make them real to us, but they strategically place temptation, accusation, and deception so that you will feel trapped and passive and not able to move in the love and the power of God. And so what did Jesus do? He said, not only do I take the penalty of your sin, but I'm going to destroy your enemy. And so John says he destroyed the works of the enemy. Listen, isn't this... And if you really boil this down, isn't this what we long for? Someone who will absolutely know us and pay the punishment for the things I can't pay for. But also absolutely have my back and say, your enemy is my enemy and I will destroy him for you. You understand, it cost him to make you his beloved. But he willingly did it because he chose you. Hallelujah. Would you say with me, I am, I am beloved. If you're a son, would you say beloved son, would you daughter, say beloved daughter. I am a beloved son of God. I am a Again, you believing it doesn't make it so. You believe it because it is so. Amen. Yeah, that's true. And let me just tell you something about spiritual things. Many things you don't experience until you believe them. Belief activates them. So you holding back and saying, prove it to me, is not a good strategy. If God's word says it's so, then you can trust it. You can believe it. If he calls you beloved, he has written that on your heart. Are you hearing me? So the third one is bestowed. And this is really, really goes back to you are born of God, you are beloved of God, because God has bestowed His love on you. As a matter of fact, the the word could also be translated lavished. There's not a, a poverty of love. There's not just a little bit of love. It is all the love the Father has has been bestowed on you. The only thing... The only thing that I see in our experience where people bestow love on each other is a marriage ceremony. And so when people give their vows, you know what they're doing? They're bestowing their love for the rest of their days on the person they're marrying. This is why in some ways the old vows are actually a reflection of agape or unconditional love. Because the old vows say, somebody's fighting with me. So the old vows say, in sickness and in health, you know, better or for worse, till death do us part. So in the old vows, you're actually bestowing a love you don't have at the moment you're bestowing the love. Because you're really talking about the future And you're talking about unforeseen things and saying, I will love you no matter what. So I'm not really, I like those old vows, but I don't think they can be accomplished unless you have brought God into the marriage. (laughs) Because only he has that kind of love. So I sort of like the realism of the new vows that people write. I promise to have a hot cup of coffee for you every morning. And they'll have just the right amount of sugar and right amount of cream. And every day I will do this. So I realize what they're saying. I will love you till the coffee gets cold. (laughs) Why I'm saying that is because that's as much love as they have. So that's all they can bestow. And so when you hear these kind of trivial, supposedly romantic vows you realize they're not bestowing enough love to last till death do us part. They're bestowing enough love so as long as things stay the same. This is why we got to get this, friends. The Father is not bestowing a minor league love. The Father is bestowing on you the same love He has for Jesus. Because you are in Christ, you are loved as Christ. And so, th- again, this is, th- you know, believing doesn't make it so. But because it is so, you can believe it. Now, this, this to me is one of the most wonderful of things because no matter how messy you are, no matter how dreadful you are, no matter how sinful you are, this love is not received by people who have it all together. This is the love that's received because you recognize you have a need for it. Yes. The only requirement for this kind of love is need. Because only when you say, I need that kind of love, do you let down your pride and your guard and you let him bestow it on you. And it is essential because you have no love to bestow back. You are, this is a one-way exchange. He gives you all that he has and you receive it and then you become all that he has destined you to become because you have become a recipient of the lavish love of the Father. Now, this, is, this was always the plan of Jesus. In John 17, he asks his Father, As you have loved me, love them. So when you begin to realize what you have entered into when he bestows love is this. The very love that Jesus, as the Son of God, has experienced for all eternity from the Father, Jesus, by paying your debt and by destroying your enemy, has now made you the recipient of the same love he has from the Father. He did not want you to go through one more day of your life without living in that inner circle of the love of the Father lavished on the Son, the love of the Son, lavished on the Father, and the Holy Spirit who is the personalized expression of the Father and the Son's love. You are not just a Christian. You have come into the circle of the Trinity love. And I I cannot tell you what it means. If you'll let this go into your heart, it means that if you can just stand right here and say he has bestowed the same love, That the Father has for Jesus. Then whatever a mess you are. However dreadful you are. Even if you're the worst person in this room. Suddenly you realize you're the most loved person in the universe. But you have to believe it. You have to receive it. Because really what it's about is getting adopted. You don't have this by right. By right you're a creation. He's your creator. This Being a creator and having a creation is not the same as being a father and having a child. But it's really not the same when you realize the love the father has for the son is now the exact same love he has for you. And he's made it legal by adopting you. Please remember this. Every person that that really becomes a Christian, when you open up your heart to God and you ask him to become your savior, do you know what he does? He sends His Spirit into your spirit. And the first thing the Spirit does, according to Galatians, is the Spirit comes in and He begins to cry within you prophetically, Abba, Father. So what happens is you get a new identity by adoption and you get a new status by adoption. You are now chosen as a child of God. You're a precious daughter. You're a precious son. And it's been prophetically spoken in you through the Holy Spirit. Yes. But that's not all that happens. In Romans 8 it says, Then that same Spirit begins to birth in you a prophetic cry. Right. See, it's not, it's not just that the Spirit cries Abba to teach you how to cry. Okay. But now you cry. And, and, and you may not realize it, but when you begin to believe and you begin to respond to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ as your Abba, As your father, not just his father, but your father, that's being done by the spirit working in you. Because in Romans 8, it says, then we cry, Abba, Father. We now take possession of what has taken possession of us. We begin to say, it's not just the spirit doing this, but I'm receiving it. I'm taking hold of it. You understand, this is why Christianity can't just be religion. It can't just be morality. It can't just be a different philosophy. It has to be a supernatural exchange and change. Because I have a new identity. And I have a new status. And it was prophetically delivered to me from the Father by the Spirit. So would you say with me, born of God. God. Beloved of God. God. Bestowed. Bestowed. love of God. On me. me. Can you not see this right now? you've ever seen it before, but the Father has stood before you, or the Son has stood before you, or the Spirit has stood before you, whether you knew it or not, and He's bestowing a covenantal love upon you. You have nothing to give Him. There's nothing you can give back, but He's giving it all to you. I have loved you, He says, with an everlasting love. Well, I can't talk about adoption without talking about this right here as my illustration. That's my daughter, Anna. You can kind of tell she looks just like her mother, thank God. And Anna has always been a huge joy in our lives. And she and her husband, Brian, have a lot of love in their hearts. They work with refugees in... uh, Atlanta, building and starting churches among the refugee, this huge refugee population. But they also wanted to open their home to at-risk children. And so many years ago, they started fostering kids. And everyone that they've had has come from emergency situations. They've come from difficult backgrounds. And about two years ago, they, they were asked, would you take this little girl in? And her, her beginnings were very difficult, very hard. And they said, would you take her in and and towards the idea of adopting her. So Allie, that's our Allie there. Lisa's mad at me because she says her hair isn't perfect in that. But uh, I just think she's so beautiful. And her her smile just lights up every room that I ever go into. And I, I, I hope you can see that when she was adopted, she was never treated differently. But you look and you can tell she's of a different race. Her skin color is different. As a matter of fact, my my son-in-law Brian is probably one of the palest white people in the in the world. And and so it's always interesting to walk with them in Atlanta and people look and, and go, How'd that happen? You know, and, and I just think it's such a perfect such a perfect picture. Now, My daughter, if you can see her face, delights in Allie. And if you can see Allie's face, Allie delights in my daughter. Now this is just a tiny picture of how the father delights in you. You're his adopted, beloved child. He chose you. He gave you the legal status of all the rights and privileges of a daughter of the king, of a son of the king. And instead of thinking about every time you're living your life, thinking how you can disobey Him or how you can rebel against Him or how you can get away with stuff, can you not see the delight that He has that you're His son, you're His daughter? As a matter of fact, it doesn't happen very often, but when Jesus was being baptized, heaven parted and the veil was rent and the Father thundered and said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And do you know because you're in Jesus, every minute of every day, the Father is saying to you, You're My beloved Son. You're My beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And if you struggle with that, it's because you're still trying to achieve instead of realizing it can only be received. Because there is a wonder when you think, Father, how could You love Me like this? I don't look like you. I come from a family that's a mess. I come from all kinds of past mistakes. And yet when I look at my daughter and the love she has for Allie, she doesn't think of any of those things. She only thinks, how can I love my child? Here's what I know, friends. A good father is not put off by the mistakes of a child. A father becomes more of a father when his child is in trouble. It's not love if it goes away because you do something he didn't expect. Matter of fact, can I just tell you, if you have a God where things happen that he didn't expect, he's not really God. You're called his beloved. You are born of him. He willingly bestowed all the love he had for Jesus on you. Can you not today see that picture? I know it's just a a fraction of his delight, but that picture of my daughter delighting in her child and her child delighting in her mother. And that's only a fraction of what the father feels for you. Isn't that beautiful? Can you? I'm getting kind of goosebumps right now. Maybe it's because I just like that little girl so much. I'm not sure. So when you begin to let the love of God be the source of your strength, you can test it. And John goes on. You see, John gives three tests throughout the, this book, his letter. He says there are three things that you can look at and say, you know you're born of God if this is true of you. And the very first one is he says, your character changes. And, and the way you go at behavior changes. Now, he's not saying there you change your behavior so you'll be loved. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to change your behavior so you'll be approved of, then you have missed the point. You see, your behaviors should come from the delight of the Father and your delight in the Father. Not for approval, but from approval. So here's what John says. Do you want to read it with me? This is chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. We love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So here's what it's talking about, is that our predisposition now, our instinct, our intuition changes. And when God asks something, our first response is yes. That's what love does. You see, love allows you to trust someone so much that you surrender control to them. But as long as I'm not surrendering control, then obedience is hesitant at best, but usually resisted. So I grew up very rebellious against people telling me what to do, and especially my mother. And then I transferred it to my wife. And so here they would both do, take out the trash. So I'd figure out, okay, if I'm incompetent and spill it all over the place, maybe they won't ask me to do it again. (laughs) Or if I stall enough and make it really hard for them to get me to do it, maybe they'll stop asking and they'll just do it. And so here I was coming into adulthood and my wife would go, hey, you know, you haven't taken out the trash. I said, well, next commercial. Because I knew she'd forget by the commercial, you know? And, oh no, I'm, I'm spilling men's secrets right now. I'm violating the bro code. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Lisa's persistent. And it didn't matter how many times she had to tell me, she kept telling me, take the trash out, take the trash out. So I finally, I grumbled and... <laughs> I was speaking in tongues, but uh, um, not, a, not an angelic one. Uh, you know, and then I'd take it out and then I'd come back in and go, I take the trash out. Like she was supposed to pat me on the head, you know, and say, good boy. And she's like, that was painful. Oh, but I was being obedient. No, you weren't. You did it, but your attitude stunk. I see what I, what took me a while to realize is that those situations were not producing attitude; they were revealing attitude. And and what it revealed is I had low or little character. That I was making other people responsible, for, even for my morality. And you know, if you as a, I mean, this is. This is kind of a marriage moment. They want to know the truth. If you're still treating your wife like you treated your mother, then you're still a child. <laughs> we, we may not have any men back next week. I mean, at some point, we've got to own this. Because, because in the end, you see, you may say, well, I'm just resisting my mom, I'm just resisting my wife, or whatever it might be, but you're really resisting God. Because not taking responsibility, not being obedient, not having an attitude of maturity, not having a character of strength. You know, it's not going to happen if you keep blaming everybody else. Don't ask me to do that. Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me, all of which sound very childish. Because you know what I've found is God puts the right people in your life at the right times to reveal what needs to happen for you to become strong and grow and mature. So instead of fighting them, look at them and say, I'm beloved of God. Instead of fighting them, you go, I'm born of God. Instead of fighting them, realize I've had the same love bestowed on me that Jesus has. So I can be obedient because I trust God and I can let go of control because I trust God. Let me just, can I just explain control for a minute to you? Control is all based on fear. So fear activates control in this way. I need to control because the things I want to happen won't happen unless I control them. But pride is what says I have the right to control. So fear and pride are the sources of control. And control is really a simple thing in this. You can call it responsibility. You can say, well, I have to worry because people don't worry about these things. And you can say all that kind of stuff. But what you're really saying is, God, I know better how to run life than you do. Which means that at the heart of the matter, love is not the source of your strength. Fear is. And you are bypassing love in order to get control. And please hear me very clearly. If you're a controlling person, love is not the source of your strength. If you're a controlling person, fear and pride are what is underneath everything you're doing. And if you think you're not controlling, which a lot of controlling people don't think they're controlling, just ask your family. (laughs) But be ready. Because if you have to ask, am I controlling, you are probably controlling. Because most controlling people are utterly unaware because they're so lost in pride, so lost in fear. And I'm not saying this to destroy you. I'm saying this because it's not a source of strength. It is actually an access for your enemy. Jesus went to the trouble to destroy your enemy and you're empowering your enemy. So the second aspect of strength that we test is if we really know that we're born, we're beloved, we're bestowed is that love itself begins to manifest in us for God. But but it's not love we produce. Notice it's we love him because he first loved us. If there's any dryness in your life, any any hardness in your heart, whatever it is, it's because you haven't let him love you in the area where you're now experiencing dryness. As a matter of fact, please, instead of just beating yourself up for areas of disobedience or failure or whatever it is, ask this question, why have I not let God love me in this area? Because every disobedience in your life is a manifestation of something being wrong in your love relationship with God. Because where love is, obedience will follow. If there's an area where you're saying, I can't let God have control of this, you're basically saying, I can't let God love me there. I have to hold on to this place for myself. And so what we began to realize from the, the teaching of John is it's not enough to say, I know the love of God or I believe the love of God. It's not just mere recognition. It's not mere assent or agreement that there is love of God. There has to be an experience and an encounter. It can be repeated over years. It can be all at once. It doesn't matter how he does it. But there has to be a, an encounter with God that un, basically, un, un, you know, just un, takes you apart, it just it undoes you. I can't even think of the word. But what it is, what we don't understand is, from the, from the beginning of our lives, we are constructing and reconstructing ourselves. Every time somebody rejects you, you may not believe this, but you fell into pieces. And then you couldn't just leave the pieces on the ground. You had to put them back together. So whether it was your parents or it was you know cousins or it was school or it was teachers, and somebody said something to you or said something about you, it, it destroyed you. And you could act like you're okay, but you're not okay. And so what we do is we, we reconstruct ourselves from the pieces of rejection. And as we're reconstructing ourselves, we're figuring out what will they accept about me? What will they approve about me? And so we put together an appearance of ourselves, a presentation of ourselves, and you could definitely call it an imposter of ourselves. Oh, yeah. But it's the thing that we believe will avoid rejection. It's the thing we believe will give us success. It's the thing we believe that, that in some way will keep us from being criticized. And so even when somebody loves, your presentation of yourself, your true self knows they're not loving you, they're loving a false presentation of you. So when you come into the love of God, He has to take apart your presentation of yourself. He has to take away the power of the imposter. Look at what He says here God doesn't just have love, friends. God is love. And then whoever abides in love, abides in God. So when you're not abiding in truth, you're not abiding in love. So when you're lying about yourself and fantasizing you know, in some way about who you are and all that, you're not living in love. You're living in lie. And so God, who has bound His love to your life, must take apart your false self. This is painful. This is often where you're like, God, why are you taking this away from me? Why are you making me look at this? Well, look at what it says. His love is perfected with us. In other words, whether you like it or not, even though it's really good for you, he's going to keep perfecting love in you, which means everything you sculpted that's false about you, he's taking it apart. He's chipping it away. And he's bringing just the right people and just the right circumstances at just the right time to say, this is not you. This needs to go. Come on, and if you say, but God, I so, I've invested so much in that. You fight him and it takes longer. Because he's going to perfect his love in you. Because he's already seen who you will be, and he's not going to give up on to you until you are who he has destined you to be. So those test, is it becoming instinctive for me to obey God? That means I'm born of God. Is it becoming instinctive for me to love God and to let God's love have its way in me? So that I surrender and I yield. You see, in, in real spiritual strength, it's more about what you're willing to give up than what you grasp. Yes. So when we look at this and we begin to realize what will happen to us as his love is perfected in us, what John says is that a confidence will come in you. An unshakable assurance. And where it comes from is it flows from your inner self. It's this amazing thing that happens where we take our disordered hearts and they become, begin to have an order to them. We order the loves of our heart so that the love of God becomes the priority. The love of God becomes the source of every other love that we have. And what that does is it gives us an identity that nobody can shake but you got to realize what, what, what has to happen is you have to look and say, what was I basing my identity on? Because unless you're willing to have a healed identity, you'll just you'll continue in the old identity. And so what, what I want you to understand is the first 10 or 12 years of your life. You develop self-concept. But you're not making Up your own self-concept you're listening to what everybody else says about you so no child has a self-concept they receive a self-concept from what the authorities and the people in their life say about them so if you're hearing you're lazy it's written indelibly on your soul if you hear you'll never amount to anything it becomes a poster in your heart it's written It's not written by you, friend. You may think you're writing it, but it's that old enemy writing it because he's the father of lies. He gave the accusation to your parents. They spoke it, and then he wrote it on your heart. And so, do do you understand, many of us in here, we have old sayings. You know, nothing will ever work out for you. You never do the right thing. You're stupid. You're not pretty. You're lazy. Your ears are big. You know, all kinds of stuff that was said, maybe not even intentionally to to destroy you, but it came right in and it wrote itself there. Do you see why we must be born of God? Because we have to have a new pen. We have to have one that erases the old sayings and indelibly writes beloved over every one of them. Writes things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. I have the mind of Christ. You begin to realize every one of those are self-concept sayings that are written indelibly by the Holy Spirit. And you get to decide, am I going to look to the old writing or am I going to live by the new writing? Well, what happens if I live by the new? A fearlessness comes. And what I mean by that is the greatest fear we have is rejection. And do you know what what we're saying today? The one who matters has said he's taken rejection off the table. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are my beloved. And then your heart says, and he is my beloved and I am his. You see once rejection is not a possibility with the person that matters then fear does no longer have a place. But not only that, but because Jesus took the penalty and the punishment, then this is a love relationship where he's not punishing you to get you to do what he wants you to do. That's an amazing truth. I very seldom see seen families that did things only out of love and didn't use punishment to to manipulate or to intimidate or to dominate. And here our God says, you will never ever see me punishing you. Why? Because I took the punishment on myself. And once you recognize that, even as you feel guilt or you feel shame, you go, but there's no more punishment in him. So this guilt and this shame, I can give it to him I can take responsibility for what I've done, but I can give him the guilt, I can give him the shame, and then I can see my heart change so that I don't want those old things. I'm not listening to that old writing, and I'm looking to him because I'm his beloved and he is mine. Well, what happens then is the opening in you becomes bigger and bigger to receive love. And you see, the larger the opening for love is, more capacity you have for love and the more capacity you have for love the greater your strength if you're a person and you're here today which many of you are and you don't trust anything you've got a very small opening for love because you're in control and you're controlling how much love God can give you and you're controlling how much love you give and you're controlling how much other people can love you and as long as that opening is really small then your capacity is also really small for love So the more you get confident, the more you get assurance, the more your self-concept comes out of order loves in your heart, the more fearless you become so you can actually use good wisdom and caution in dealing with people. You don't just give yourself stupidly to people. But at the same time, you're not thinking God is here. He's going to punish me if I do this. He's going to punish me if I do that. You're living out of love, not fear of punishment. And as that opening widens, your strength Becomes deeper, stronger, more unshakable than ever before, and the love you've always longed for in other people becomes a reality, because now you can register their love for you. Are you quiet because you're thinking? So will you stand with me? I'd like for I'd like to charge you. I'd like to like just commission you in this love, because I. I want to tell you, what John says is, is when you're born of God, you start to want to obey God. When he bestows his love on you and, and you know you're beloved in him, then an inner confidence starts to come out, a fearlessness starts to come out. But what he says that has always resonated with me, maybe more than anything else, is that because you know that you're loved, you start to share that love with every person. And he says it this way, how can you love the God you've not seen when you hate the brother you have seen? And I look at this and I say, I've seen Christians who pronounce their love for God but hate anybody of a different race. I've seen people that pronounce their love for God but hate anyone who's needy or who they don't think is worthy of their love. You see, if I have a sense of wonder that He loves me, then any person in my life is also worthy of the love He's given me. So I'd like for us to be a people who are so beloved of God and we know it so well that we don't meet a single person that we're not sharing that same love that has caused wonder in us. So would you read these words with me? This is what John says. If I have experienced this unconditional true love, it will change the way I relate to everyone else. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love him. I think we can change the world with this. So I'd like you to close your eyes as we close. And the first thing I'd like you to know, I've seen this in, in this service. The pen of God is writing a new message on your heart. Born of God, beloved of God, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, he's writing it over everything others have said about you. you. You believing it doesn't make it so, but it is so, so you can believe it. Will you believe today? And, and if you will with me, would you take a step? Today, I feel like the Lord wants you to make a spiritual, historical marker right here in this room. So, would you take like a shepherd's staff, or if you're in The Lord of Rings, like me, take Gandalf's staff, and would you just would you put it in your hand and stick it in the ground and make a spiritual marker? Would you say this with me? I am born of God. I am born of God. Say it again. I am born of God. I am beloved of God. He has bestowed on me, he has bestowed on me the, the same love. That he has for Jesus. Because I am in Christ. I am loved as Christ. Would you just would you let that come in today? See, it doesn't matter if you're the worst person in this room, it isn't based on achievement. In some ways, His love is even more activated for those of us who know we can't do it, who know we don't deserve it. Would you leave today with a sense of wonder that though you are not Jesus, you are treated as if you were Jesus. And the Father will never reject you. All the punishment has already been paid. Would you surrender your control to His love? I see what you're doing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.